Hey Geekscapists, welcome to a brand new Geekscape episode. I'm Jonathan London, your host, and we like to talk about pop culture, movies, video games, comics, TV, and we've got a really good episode uh, for you guys today. There's a new movie that's coming out this weekend. It's called I Kill Giants, and I'm sitting across from the director, Anders Walter. And uh, the movie, if you're not familiar with the comic book source material, it's based on a Joe Kelly comic that he put out through his Man of Action imprint. Um, if you guys aren't familiar with Man of Action, they put out Big Hero 6. Maybe you've heard of that one. Uh, that was one that they did with Marvel, and it turned into the Disney movie that you guys all love. So uh, Man of Action, about 10 years ago, put out this comic called I Kill Giants. And I saw the trailer a few months ago, and I shared it on the Geekscape Forever Facebook group that you should all be members of. And um, I was like, this looks pretty good. Because I never imagined that that comic would become a movie. I can understand how it became a movie, but it, it seems like it, it seemed like a long shot in a world of superheroes as source material. Does that make sense? Totally makes sense. I'm sitting with the guy who made that journey. So, Anders, talk about a little bit uh, taking Joe Kelly's source material and the bringing it to screen because it's it's not exactly. Superheroes. It's it's far from uh, superheroes. It's 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 very much a character-driven story, um, and it was a difficult process. Not only for me, you know, some very good people have been working on on bringing the the, the comic book to the screen before I came on board. Uh, Chris Columbus, um, the director of Harry Potter and at least the first three Harry Potter movies and Home Alone, mm-hmm. um, he fell in love with the comic book back in two thousand and. Nine, I believe, and wanted to direct this film himself. But he learned rather quick that it was a very difficult film to finance, at least at the you know at the budget level that he's used to uh, working within. Um, then he stayed on as a producer, and they started to look for uh, other directors, uh, and they kind of agreed to do uh, a more independent production. And uh, had to realize they couldn't do this in the studio system. Right. One of the reasons, obviously, is is the fact that Barbara is. I mean, it's not a, a typical family movie. Barbara is a teenage girl, and she's quite a handful, and she's quite a pistol uh, in in the way she talks and addresses the world. And it is a PG thirteen film. And as soon as you have a PG thirteen film, then then you risk uh, doing something, or at least you can't. You know, you can't keep that as a typical family movie. Right. You, they're, they're aiming for a PG film, and you, the way that this character talks, and just to give you guys a little bit of the story, this is a, a, a girl who, when you first meet her, is out in the forest, and she's setting up traps, and she's collecting clues, and she's, she's kind of tracking, mm-hmm. and you find out that she's hunting these giants, and yeah. you, very early, you see one of them. Yeah. And, uh, and Anders plays, like the comic, this... Uh, this game between reality and fiction, uh, and it's an intense emotional movie, it's an intense emotional story, uh, but uh, you don't leave a lot of mystery about whether or not this is real for her. You know what I mean? Which is, I think is important. That's very important, and that was one of my, my, my uh, main goals, and something I was very keen to achieve in the film, that this world is real, both for Barbara, and that's the contract I wanted to make with the audience, at least for, you know, without spoiling too much here, because a lot of the film is has to do and as if, you know, as something that is going to be revealed towards the end. So we can't really talk about uh, what, what happens and why 
Barbara is acting out as she is. Because she lives on Long Island. She like lives she, on Long she Island lives in, and, and on Earth. This well, isn't a fantasy on movie. Earth and, and for me, it was very important yeah. to not um, not to make two parallel universes. For me, I wanted to make a, a really realistic and authentic film, and I wanted that world to feel both authentic for for you know the world of Barbara being in school and being at home, and also when she's out chasing giants and titans and everything in between. Uh, because uh, I didn't want people to think that this is a fantasy world. Um, so there were definitely things, also if people know the graphic novel, there were things that I decided to pull out from the graphic novel in translating this. For instance, in the graphic novel you have a lot of fairies and, and other very obvious fantasy elements. And for me that was a giveaway in the sense that if you show these very obvious fantasy elements, then you right away from the beginning think that, okay, so she has two worlds. Yeah. And that changed in the screenplay, and I think Joe Kelly really cleverly and, and, and very smart drafted an arc here where, um, where, you, where you keep the audience guessing for a very long time, which I think brings a lot of tension to the film. And that was one of my primary goals in, 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 um, in, in setting this film up. And also, you know, the first time I met with these, you know, wonderful producers, because I would, you know, you could fear that that people wanted to tone down Barbara. Barbara is really a sassy girl who who um, who, who she gives no f's. I think we would say on the internet. Yes. Right? And I think and I think the charm of of, of <coughs> I Kill Giants is Barbara. At least I fell in love with Barbara. For me, it was a character-driven story, and you can't really compromise on Barbara's nature. No, she gets bullied at school. Yeah. She he's kind of a loner, but she has an attitude towards everyone, including the guidance counselor. She really has including an the principal. So much of an attitude that I almost put down the screenplay after ten pages uh, because I felt she was so inaccessible. Yeah, a little bit, and I thought, wow, this is going to be a tough one. You know, she's not very likable, and how on earth am I going to convince an audience to go on her ride? But then, almost putting down the screenplay, getting the screenplay sent from my agents. And I kept reading. There was something intriguing about her. And then slowly you get into, at least, you know, that was my personal experience. I got into the story. I got into Barbara. And some 30 pages in, I was totally madly in love with her. Mm-hmm. And, and that just grew on me uh, throughout the, the rest of the screenplay. Um, no, so th- the important thing here is you can't really compromise on her, na- on her nature and her character and her sassiness and her attitude. Uh, so that was, you know, one of the most important things for me to to let any, anyone working on the film um, know that if I was to do this, it would have to be a PG-13 movie uh, because we couldn't tone down on Barbara's attitude. Uh, that was the charm from the graphic novel, at least, in my opinion. So how do you make a character like that who's kind of just piss and vinegar? Have you heard that term? Yes. Yeah, so this is like this piss and vinegar character. <laughs> uh, Anders is from uh, Denmark, so I, I can't assume he knows all of our local colloquialisms. Maybe they have piss and vinegar in Denmark. We have similar things, but I definitely <laughs> understand what you mean. Yeah, so, so you got this character spitting piss and vinegar. What are the challenges to making her likable? Yeah. Like, what, what were some of the things, either in script or in the like composition, color, as it, well, like your, your tool set as a director, what are some of the things that you... How do you approach it? It's a balance because, you know, all people are different. And I have to admit, uh, and also, of course, it started with, you know, a long conversation with the wonderful, talented actress, Madison Wolf, who portrays Barbara in the film. 
And when, when Madison showed up on the set in Ireland, she had a very specific idea about the arc she wanted to, 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 to do for Barbara. And she just played very sassy, and I loved her for doing that. And, and we wanted to go in that direction. But then you get into the editing room, and you put together your first cut of the film. And I must admit, there were certain things tonally when you see the first cut, um, where you felt, oh, okay, maybe we went a little too far. Softening, yeah. Yeah, <clears throat> so we definitely had to pull a little bit back on certain jokes and just to tone her down a little bit. Um, not This was not a compromise of any kind, because it is important if you do a story of any kind, film, uh, fiction, whatever, that people want to go on a journey. You can, you can push people to a certain extent, uh, but you have to keep them engaged and you have to keep them intrigued. And there's a balance of being in, you know, intrigued and engaged and then simply not liking a character. Then it's gonna be really, really difficult for people to come back into you know, liking them and going on the journey. So there is a very fine balance for me at least. And that was something we talked a lot about and there were certain scenes we had to revisit and certain scenes we had to, to cut out to, to get, um, I think, to, to open up the story a little bit. And I think that you're already working against an, audience and, uh, an audience's cynicism or, because we're get, trying to gauge the entire time you're watching the, the, the early part of this movie whether or not she's, like, yeah. she, she's got all her marbles yeah. because yeah. this is a girl who goes into the woods and sets traps for giants and goes along the beach and sets traps for giants. Yeah. And even though we've seen the giants, um, which it's something in a comic book, uh, we can accept mm -hmm. something in a visual world where we still have to have the, the, the real bearings of an, yeah. uh, of an emotional weight. Yeah. Yeah. And not that there's not emotional weight in, in the comic, but, but with the artwork, like uh, J.M. Ken Nomura, who yeah. did the artwork, it's very fantastic. It's very loud. It's yeah. very e yeah. expressive. Yeah. You have, uh, and it's interesting that you shot it in Ireland, uh, there's much more of a somber tone to this. Totally. And... And so when, we, when we're really drenched in reality mm. here, we, as an audience, start to think, is, is she the only one who can see these things? Yeah. You know, and so we're already critical of a, of a character. Yeah. Right there. It, it's a, you really had some hurdles to jump. Yeah. In that sense. Um, w the process of shooting in Ireland rather than like a place like Long, Long uh, it's Long supposed Island. to be Long Island. Yeah. Like, what, what, <laughs> what are the decisions in doing that? Because... Long Island and, and, and Ireland, they look a little different. Yeah. No, yeah. obviously, I, again, coming from Denmark and not being very familiar with Long Island, obviously I could Google Long Island and Joe Kelly, who lives in Long Island, mm -hmm. could send me pictures. So I would go on location scouts with my DP and producers and... In Long Island? In Lo no, yeah. not Long Island. I would go to Ireland. Was there, was, there, was it a tax decision, a way to make that Yes, I mean, made? the yeah. story is that we were basically set up with an American production company who wanted to finance the film. Sure. And everything went fantastically well for the first six months. We were just about to go to Vancouver and shoot it. And Vancouver was, you know, we had great locations up there that felt much more American. Things happened. Uh, the Hollywood thing happened to the film. People yeah. got a little bit cold and uh, withdraw uh, or, or, or pulled out at, at, at the, the very, um, you know, the very end. And... Um, so eventually I went back to Denmark and I felt or thought that the movie would never happen. Then three months later, a European financier shows up and basically goes, we love everything about it. If we can keep the cast on, keep the cast intact, including Zoe Saldana and Madison Wolf, we're willing to uh, you know, greenlight the film. And I just couldn't believe what I was hearing. 
that meant, it, since now we had a European finance year out of Belgium, that we had to shoot the film in Europe. An island then became the location because it had similar nature and locations yeah. that could feel Long Island-ish. And then we shot forest uh, scenes in Belgium, and everything on the sound stage was shot in Belgium. Wow. Yeah. So, so that's a challenge, of course, but that's what happens most, uh, you know, times these days. A lot of, I mean, it's so rare that people shoot films in California anymore. Yes, very much so. And it's not like Long Island is, no offense to Mr. Kelly, uh, it's not like, like in the film, Long Island is a character. No, it's Does not. Does that make sense? Like, it's not like you have a bunch of dudes hanging outside. Nature is a character. So I think there is, of course, I would send over pictures to Joe Kelly and the American producers and ask them, is this American enough? Because I was in doubt sometimes. You just have to get some teamsters hanging outside of like a gas station yeah. and it'll look like a yeah. Long Island. So, know? of course, we had to get the yellow school bus. We found one in Holland. We got that, you know, shipped to Ireland. And and did you have to paint it or it was yellow? No, it was yellow. It was a That's typical, insane. you know, school bus from, from what here. What color so are they usually, like in Denmark? Where have, we don't color? have school buses like that. Do you, you have schools, though? We have school. Yeah, do we? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, we all self-taught. Vikings. <laughs> so, wait. How do kids get to school in Denmark? No, so uh, we, we we have buses, but we but they're all kinds of you know it's random the, buses. It's, it's not community buses. Yeah, it's the we, city yeah, buses. Yeah, we don't have like a school bus. Oh, okay. An iconic school bus designed in a certain way, like you have here. So you don't get bullied. No, what is being bullied? What does that mean? Well, when your character gets bullied in yeah, this yeah, movie, no, no, but, I know, I know. but um, no, we get bullied. I got bullied. But, you, bullied but now you're getting bullied on the city bus. <laughs> yeah. So it's a little. Yeah. It's a little more. <laughs> anybody can beat you up on the city bus. Exactly. That's. It's really rough in Denmark. <laughs> yeah. No, we, we've heard. We've heard. We've heard. No. So. So. Um, but what we got from Ireland, and to me, I mean, we got great nature and. Like I said, Long Island is not a big factor here, but the nature is because Barbara is such an organic girl. Barbara is one who have cut wounds from being, you know, playing around in nature on her fingers and and everything she does and everything she collects and the way she sets her traps. Everything is very much based and comes from nature. So there is this kind of organic feel to it that was very important to me. And it also brings a certain scope and a certain poetry uh, to the film, uh, being so much in the nature. And then we were just damn lucky. We shot an island in September, October, and we were told it's going to be raining for yeah. two months straight. And I go, okay, that's going to be the look of the film. Then the graphic novel, she's always in a t-shirt in the graphic novel. It takes place in the summer. Now all of a sudden we had to design new clothing for her and uh, you know, a different wardrobe, and I was expecting rain to hit us every day. And really just setting out to do a gray, you know, cloudy movie. Mm. And then we had the most beautiful you know, weather, low sun, beautiful skies, and you know things. Even the Irish crew told us that this is this has you know hasn't happened in twenty years. It's, it's, <laughs> this, is not, this is not normal. Right. So the film ended up being a product of being an island and being an island at a time where the sun were not supposed to shine because it, it the film has a certain look, uh, a warm kind of look because of the low sun and. So we just embraced all of these things and it definitely became, now seeing the film in retrospective, became a big factor and a big part of the tone in the film. And also something, because me and my DP went for a natural light, something that helped the film to feel very grounded, which I thought was uh, the, the good way to go. Because as you said, 
the graphic novel is very explicit and very um, expressive. Yeah, expressive, and and it feels very much like a, a cartoon. In, it's in almost like Scott Pilgrimish. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like yes. wow. Uh, it has a, a, a certain manga feel to it also, and it's very loud in, in, in the way it's done. And for, for me to translate this, it, it had to be grounded because I think the emotional impact was what I wanted to go for here. The emotional impact from, from the characters and the tension between the characters had to come from a grounded place for me to believe in them. Um, so that had to change. Um, at least in, in, in my perspective. In the, let's talk about the Giants, because yeah. I shared the trailer, Geeks gave us, and um, the Giants look, uh, and, and I think the artist of the comic has said this, that they were really influenced by one of our favorite video games, Shadows of the Colossus. Yeah. Did you ever play that game? I never played any computer games, which is Ever. really a bizarre thing. I come from a okay, background. I'm trying to learn that. I'm starting to think you're giving me this idea of Denmark that may yeah. not be right. What is a computer game? <laughs> <laughs> what is fun? Yeah, <laughs> we only have hygge. <laughs> so, um, are you familiar with the game though? In, mm. in reference, like, mm. like it's. Like I, I, I basically grew up in a, in a, I'm a graphic, I did graphic novels, I'm okay. an illustrator as a okay. background, I did comic books in Denmark. I was going to ask what you did before discovering yeah. film. So I did storyboards, yeah. comic books, children's books, blah blah blah. So I sat in big studios with, with illustrators and a lot of geeky, uh, you know, boys and men who did comic books and played a lot of computer games. But I never played them, but I was very much exposed to them, uh, but for some reason I was always afraid that they would take away the time that I wanted to use on my comic books. They would have. So I had a very uh, hardcore discipline about it, uh, not wanting to really open up to that um, to that world. No, they're addicting. I and know. That one especially <laughs> is addicting. Uh, but I but I think um, that Nomura has said that in that he saw Shadows of the Colossus as an yeah. influence yeah, in creating these larger than life creatures because you have giants in this movie and that are do compare much larger than buildings. With, with, yeah. Yeah, and um, when you started putting together the artwork for this mm. film to start crafting these in CGI, yeah. like how, how much? Where did you start pulling some of your influences? Is basically what I think I'm trying to ask. <laughs> you know what? I actually I came on board when there was already a lot of production um, illustrations and concept art for the movie. As I said, Chris Columbus wanted to direct this himself for, for quite some time. So they had been developing, and there were great artwork done when I came on board. But of course you want to make it your own, so for a good six months I also joined uh, the, the art team, being an illustrator, having that background. I did my own concept drawings and tried to kind of you know, move, move uh, the, the designs in a certain direction, but were never really satisfied with what we achieved. Then today, are you satisfied with it? Yes, very much so. Yeah. And then we ended up in Europe, as I just told you, uh, and I got in contact with a concept artist from Paris, Frédéric Perrin. You should check him out. He's a great artist. I don't even know how to spell that. No, no. What you just said, it sounds like a Star Wars character. Yeah. That's yeah. my Americanism right there. <laughs> Maybe I said it wrong, because the French language is also very absurd to me, being a Dane, yeah. I must admit. No, so, so he came up, but I came up with a concept, a general concept for all of the things, all of the giants, titans, harbingers, and everything um, in between that is in I Kill Giants, which... There's a lot of different kinds of giants, folks. Yeah, so the concept yeah. was basically everything should resemble and, and feel like the environment that they're living in. So a wood giant should be made of wood. Yes, or and, yeah. so, and also, if you look at the graphic novel, the titan, the, the great big titan, 
is you know a creature that rises from the ocean. Uh, but in the graphic novel, he's full of. He looks like a Rastafari guy. He's very cool looking in the in the graphic novel, but he looks like a Rastafari kind of guy uh, from Jamaica, but with big thick fur. Yeah. Uh, I was inspired by the shape of him. The silhouette of him was fantastic, I thought. But I wanted him to feel like he was created from elements and things you would find on the bottom of the sea. Mm -hmm. uh, so we came up with a concept where we constructed him of uh, coral reefs and you know rocks and pieces of broken ships. Yeah, yeah. exactly. All of that stuff that you would find on the bottom of the sea. Uh, so that became a concept to work within. And then this wonderful Paris concept artist, Frédéric Perrin. We're going to get it. We're going to get it. That was better than mine, for sure. <laughs> he did some wonderful drawings. And the first drawings he made for me, I was like, well, that's, that's the guy. That's it. Yeah. And, you know, having worked with so many uh, illustrators uh, before, not, not being able to figure it out, it was just such a blessing all of a sudden to, to totally hook on to someone who got it. Uh, in the same way that I wanted to um, to understand him. And that's a hard place for a director to be in where you know what you don't want, but it's really hard to nail down what you want, and everyone's looking at you yeah. to tell them what you want, and it's and it's just beyond yeah. your ability to articulate. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, why the hell can't you read my mind? You <laughs> what is wrong with you? I'm paying you. <laughs> it's brutal, and, 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 I, and I have to think that it happens almost every shoot you have some situation whether it's a camera composition or a color decision mm -hmm. or something mm -hmm. you don't know it until you see it and meanwhile there's a running clock and I have to yeah. think that a lot of the, the the success and failures that we see in films I was talking to uh, a Geekscapist uh, last night about the difference between the successes that Peter Jackson has had and Guillermo del Toro has had and yeah. this and that and a lot of this is starting to just come down to time. People like to blame studios. People like to blame that. It's you're trying to run, like lay track on a on a on a train that is already going down yeah. the yeah. track, and you're trying to. to and, and if you don't make those decisions, you, you sometimes have to decide with the best option you got. And yeah, it's not always perfect. No, and that's a tough place for a director to be in. And I can understand now why someone like Christopher Columbus. When these decisions have to be made, he doesn't. He probably wanted to shoot this thing over a schedule that was three times as long as oh, yeah, you had to do this I movie, mean, you know, and have all these artists where yeah. you have very limited resource yeah, for yeah, this stuff. Yeah. But then again, for Chris Columbus, it, it probably have must have felt like a downgrade. But for me, coming from doing four short films on a very small budget in Denmark, it would always go. To oh, you're like, It would always feel like an upgrade. Did you gain any weight from eating food on set? <laughs> Uh, the first four weeks in Ireland, no. I was very strict. No sugar, no nothing. You know, I wanted to keep in shape because sure. it's, it's that, you know, it's physical demanding to direct the film. And then when we arrived in Belgium, I was starting to get a little bit tired. And then, you know, you start and to go. And that's what you do in you studios. Start to go, yeah, then you're inside in the studio. Yeah, you're trapped in a cage. You can't, yeah, and yeah. then you start to go for the sugar. And then you're caught, and then it's going to get all messed up. And then towards the end, you you look all pale, and you look like you should be hospitalized. And you guys are doing French hours? You guys are doing... The good thing for me, at least, is we couldn't really do long days. Madison Wolf, or the, you know, the character of Barbara, is basically in all the scenes in the film. And she of has course, limited hours. Yeah. You know, there are strict rules when you work with an American uh, a child actor. Uh, so that meant we could only do 10, 11 hour days. She could only be in front of camera for five hours. Mm -hmm. 
Of course, we had a body double, we had a stunt double, but still, it was difficult to, sh to, um, to shoot a lot of scenes without her being present. Right. And your AD must have... <laughs> I mean, he, that, that's a pretty big job to figure out where you're going to put those hours. Yes, he, he, he looked a little stressed from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> Which I must admit. So you got to do some time with her, and then she's gone. And you you, you yeah. shoot out the rest of your day with one but of the also, adult actors, I mean, but there aren't many adult actors. No, and 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 were there plate hours where you just go out and start shooting some of these plates for some of your effect shots? But you have to work out? fast. Yeah. First of all, the, you know, me coming from a European background, in Europe we don't have the same budgets to make movies for. So that means we have to work fast. Sure. And that's not to, to critique how you do movies in the States, because I would love to have 120 shooting days and really, you know, get the time to do certain things. And that was also a part of the discussion, you know, me and my Danish producer coming into the room of 1492 and sitting down with uh, uh, the great producer Michael Barnaton, who is, is the producing partner of Chris Columbus, and, and trying to figure out how to do this. We came from two different worlds, Michael being one who have uh, worked in the studio system, and Kim, my Danish producer, won a European production, uh, producer who worked within the independent European kind of production system. We had to figure out uh, a way to do this. And we said, I remember in the first meeting, we basically came in. I think at that point in time, they wanted to do the film now for around $30 million or 25. And I think we said that we should do this for 15. And that was, I think to them, a little too ambitious. Yeah. Uh, which um, makes sense when you come from the studio system and have been doing, you know, working on Harry Potter and other kinds of films, because there was a certain scope to I Kill Giants. But eventually the film was made for 15, uh, and we only shot it in, in over 40, 38, 40 shooting days. That means. And also, where you have your actors for half the time. Yeah, and you yeah. only have so on paper, this to a lot of American studio producers, this was uh, you know quite difficult. And also, they wanted, I mean, credit to them. Of course, they wanted me to have time with the actors. I'm a first-time future director. They want me to be able to, you know, do mistakes and be able to rethink things and and, and get them in the can in the best possible way. But by the end of the day, I come from a different world. Just you know, shooting short films, you have to work fast. And uh, I think what really saved us in the end was the great talent of, of Madison Wolf. I never really more. I never did more than. I think three times on the whole shoot, I did. I did takes in the two digit. Uh, really? Yeah, three times. I remember my producer and going, "What are you doing, Anus? This is the third time now on the whole entire, you know." Shoot. You're like moving on, and everybody's you're, looking at you're you going like you're crazy. Into 10, 11, and a yeah. 12 take. What the hell is going on? Because normally we would just do five, yeah. six, three takes. Sometimes only two, and that was, you know, a lot of credit to Madison Wolf for being such a pro and and being so intense and so engaged and and because you could also find yourself in a situation, and I, and I have tried that with a, a child actor who is, you know a fantastic talent, but they only spark and shine in certain moments, which means you have to go back and put that film together in the editing room. I talked to Chris Colombos about this, and, and at least in, in his version of how they made Home Alone, obviously McCulloch Culkin is a great talent, but it was very much something that was put together in the editing room because he would spark in a few seconds here and there. With Madison, you could do two minutes straight without cutting. Because her presence was so strong, and the way you know with child actors, sometimes you tend to lose them 
when they're not, you know. Yeah, the focus. Yeah, they're focused, especially when they're, when they're yeah. not, uh, you know, on, you know, not having to say anything or, you know, you know, the the, the off kind of um, reactions. Their attention kind of drifts, or they yeah. they think about their they think about the next before they think forward or backwards. Yeah. And if you have that situation, then forty days is gonna be an issue. Um, but with Madison, that's why I, I really think that Madison, being such a pro, obviously she's also she was thirteen, turning fourteen when we shot the film. That that means a lot. She's a, almost you know a pre-adult. At least she's a teenager. You can have an intellectual conversation. How did you find her? her? She was a girl we found, uh, you know, of course, in casting, and uh, we casted, I believe, six hundred girls. And I started to look at the girls when it had come down to a hundred, and then. The rest of you know producers started to, to I think did, did I take it down to a group of twenty girls and then we started to have a dialogue. Chris Columbus, his producers. Um, luckily enough, uh, we all agreed on Madison because it was unanimous. Yes, but Chris Columbus never wanted to, to let me know uh, how he felt about Madison Wolf. He said that he liked her. But he wanted me to make the decision. Yeah, that's nice and respectful. That's awesome. Yeah. What, um, so in 2013, 2014, you made Helium? Yeah. That, that was your Oscar winning yeah. film? Uh, and that's your short. Uh, you left Hollywood and you, you went back to Denmark. Tell, tell me a little bit about like the process of starting out making shorts. What brought you into filmmaking from an illustrator background? Yeah. And then why not hang out in Hollywood? I mean, it's such a great place as we sit here in the heart of Beverly Hills. Uh, yeah. I'm being facetious. <laughs> I mean, the stories I heard about Hollywood was, you know, a lot of uh, bu- bullshit blowing in the wind. And, and, and which is not true, of course. There is no, a lot of there's bullshit. Some, there's bullshit. Yeah, there's bullshit. Uh, I think, no, what, what happened is, you know, you, I won the Oscar for Helium and I had done four short films in Danish and I'm from Denmark, I speak Danish, I write in Danish, I can speak uh, and communicate in English, but it's not my, my, um, my, what do you call that? Natural English. Natural, yeah. natural. Yeah. Uh, You're doing fine, by the way. So there are certain things about nuances <coughs> and blah, blah, blah. So, so I thought I would much rather go back to Denmark, at least for my first feature, and really do one that was me. Mm-hmm. That w- where I could speak with my own clear voice, and and I didn't necessarily connect the world of Hollywood to a first-time director being able to speak with his own very clear voice. Um, but my agents kept sending me scripts, and eventually, I Kill Giants came to me, and then I'm like, oh, damn it! Now I have to go back. And it's gonna be in English. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> damn it! I gotta make it. <coughs> and I was just I just got rejected with a with a project in Denmark. A Danish project yeah. rejected you. Yeah, because in Denmark it's such a small country, five million. Uh, right. You think you'd be the big the guy who came back and everybody wanted to work with no, because no, you did no, well. No. Yeah, that's not how it works in Denmark. So the Danish Film Institute, you're very much de- depending on on, on uh, government f- funding f- to make a film. And those in shorts you got using local funds. Those shorts funding. were based on the love of two fantastic Danish producers, Kim Magnussen and his father, TV Magnussen. Kim, I won the Oscar with. And Kim also became a producing partner on I Kill Giants. We always, with all of my four short movies, I got a little bit of support, developing support, but they never greenlit any of my, my short films. We always, always got a no in the end. But Kim, then always, I remember every time we came out of the office of the Danish Film Institute, said, okay, I'm going to put up a little bit of money. We're going to do this yeah. film anyway. Yeah. 
So Kim basically made sure that I got to do my four short movies. And then of course when we won the Academy Award, how much fun was that, you know, to to kind of put it in their face, right? Yeah. Like, like did you feel, I mean, did you, you felt, re- you felt rejected by the Danish Film Institute and then you can show them like, hey, you could have been with us on this thing. And exactly, instead you exactly, exactly. Put me on the, yeah. But then there is this uh, fantastic rule in the Danish Film Institute, which is if a Danish production of any kind across, you know, the, you know, it doesn't matter if you're supported by the Danish Film Institute or not, if it gets an Oscar nomination, it's really in the regulations. It's, it's, it's something that has been decided from high above. They have to go and support this movie with, you know, quite a big uh, amount of money to, to, um, to make, you know, to support a campaign. So eventually they had to kind of step wow. up and pay us a lot of money for us to travel there to, 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 to do a campaign, you know, doing ads in certain magazines. And then you won. And then we won. <laughs> so, so they, they came around. Yeah, they, they came, came around. around. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, do you, I mean, you still intend to make that Danish film. What do you think? Yes, I would love to uh, make a Danish film. It's not something that I have to do tomorrow. I'm, I'm looking for new projects and developing projects both here in London and in Copenhagen. So I'm, I'm back and forth in between those three countries or three, three cities. What were the movies that took you from being an illustrator or maybe led to you becoming an illustrator? Like what were the influences that put that first pencil in your hand and then took that what was the film? What were the films that took you from being an illustrator? Not that you're not anymore, but brought you into the realm of filmmaking. I grew up in the '80s, so you know, Semeckis, Spielberg, later Del Toro, and and you know, the likes of of these wonderful directors. They're basically you know part of my DNA as a storyteller, not only as a as a, as a director, but also as you know the stories that I like to to tell when I did graphic novels. So, um, but I wanted to do film for a very long time, but I was too damn afraid to become a director. I was so, I was so used to being by myself doing my drawings and not having to compromise, not having to deal with a lot of, uh, you know. Yeah, bullshit. Bullshit. The, from, the stuff from, that fly, is flying outside our window right Yeah, now. and also I was afraid that I couldn't, I, I didn't know how to, to deal with uh, especially the actors, I felt very com- uh, confident in how to tell a story with, with uh, images. You know, doing storyboards for directors and doing graphic novels, I totally knew how to cover a scene. That was so much on, on the, you know, on, on, you know, part of my, my upbringing and part of my, my training as an illustrator. So that was, that was fine, uh, but I was very, it took a lot of Convincing, and, and uh, I had to really dig deep to find the courage to go on a set and stand there. And all, because as a director, you are really an actor, mm-hmm. not an actor in front of camera, not an actor or performance that anyone is ever going to see, but you are an actor in the sense that you have a lot of people looking at you all the time and expecting and wanting something from you. That stressed me. Thinking about it, now so finally I convinced myself when I was 33 that now is the time to go and do my first, uh, you know, piece of fiction, a short film. And I did, and I was shitting my pants. But what I learned was that I really enjoyed working with these, you know, wonderful people, actors, these creatures. And I had so much fun. And because, first of all, I wasn't stressed again about 
how to cover a scene or how to tell this with, with imagery. Sure. You knew what needed to be done. That was so yeah. easy for me. And, and, and so I could really just focus on being with the actors. And I loved it. I loved the whole social aspect of it. And I loved all the gifts and all the surprises that I got from being with these actors. You know, stuff that I could never have been able to come up with myself just with a pencil. There's a certain limitations to just working with oneself. And so I was so positively surprised. Everything was more than I expected. And it didn't feel like a compromise. You know, everybody tell you, oh, making it's film is an, an enhancement. For me, it was. Yeah, it's an enhancement. It is. Yeah. It can be compromised when it's done badly. There are compromises. Yeah, of course. Of course you do compromises. But I don't think the compromises I've been forced to do has, have ever compromised on the storytelling and on the characters. And I am someone who f has to fall in love with characters. And my my where I come from, yes, it's wonderful with a film like I Kill Giants that you have a backdrop with, with giants. You know, how fantastic is that and how visually appealing it is. It's, it's great, but it's characters. It has to spring from great characters. And um, I think that gets overlooked all the time. I think the focus on actors yeah. gets overlooked all the time and we settle for spectacle. Yeah. And we end up with these hollow experiences that you walk out of without any kind of recollection of going to well, any like journey. That's fine. That's I think it's fine. They're there, those films. But I, I do miss, you know, you know, a craft. Yeah, I, I do miss maybe sometimes <coughs> that they would mix these things up. Sorry, I still I'm, think you can I'm do coughing. yeah <laughs> great spectacular, spectacular <coughs> films. Um, but why does that mean you have to forget about complex characters? That that. That is something I can't really, I don't understand. Um, well, like we said, it should be an enhancement to what yeah, because you're, they're doing. You're skipping the basic building block. Yeah. yeah. You know, when you, when you skip the performances, the people that, who, the characters through which you journey through that story, yeah. when you skip yeah. that basic building block, yeah. what do you, it doesn't matter what you build. Yeah. And you think, I mean, just <coughs> back. I'm know. only going to cough while yeah. you're talking. Okay. Hold on. <coughs> I'm going to mark that so that I can uh, delete that later. <laughs> <coughs> Sorry, Why? that just adds to you. Com you know, you're like, oh, we love him. He's human. Trust me, the yeah. Geekscape is not I'm human. <laughs> no, and you, if you look at a movie like, uh, let's say, Jaws, um, I think, you know, when you look at the book, or maybe if you read the screenplay, it could probably come across as a B movie. But because Spielberg pays so much attention to making the characters and the world this happens within, so, so make, he makes it feel grounded, authentic. And all of a sudden, it goes from, you know, a film that goes for, for you know, to scare people. It goes from a, a, this and becomes a complex, uh, you know, story about real characters with real problems. And then you have that crazy back, uh, backdrop of, you know, a couple of guys chasing down a, a, a shark. And, and, but yeah. it's all... You know what I mean? It's all grounded. absolutely because you know that other directors would have done this as a uh, would have been a typical B movie. Well, I mean, you've seen John Sayles do Piranha mm. when, he, when when John <laughs> I mean John Sayles did Piranha and I guess Piranha Two was Cameron James Cameron. So I mean, you've seen other directors yeah. do the a, a version of Jaws, yeah, right? But I think those are the only three that we can think of that didn't turn into. Alligator, or didn't turn yeah, into but, but just other monsters. Look at the choice of, of how he cast the film. Look at the, ca the, oh, the it's, cast. It's on look at level. a guy like Richard Dreyfuss, who feels like an average kind of guy. On another level. Already yeah. there. You mm -hmm. have made an obvious, or oh, not an obvious, but you have made a decision about you know wanting to 
make this movie feel real. Sure. Um, Did you use Jaws as an influence? Because obviously she's out hunting for giants, and he's out hunting yeah, for I, a shark. Yes. Did you use Jaws as an influence in this? In for sure, I used it as an influence in when people asked me, "Isn't there a chance that we can maybe add more giants up front?" People said that to you. Yes. And oh, because in the first ten pages you have to have a giant event to yes. really hook the audience. You got to have a the yeah, main, and maybe the not only in the first ten pages, just have giants. You know, in the worst, giants fun. Yeah, big s- s- swarm of giants. <laughs> yeah, that's. But then I think people are missing the point and and of the of the film, because the film for me is based on is is, is structured on tension, and. Um, and Jaws is very much built in the same way. Of course, with Jaws, I'm not quite sure that that was the way Spielberg set out to do the film. We all know the story about how he, he couldn't get the, the shark, shark to yeah. work, and then eventually that became um, it became a movie about us guessing about what was underneath the water, and not so much being fed with the imagery of the shark. And it worked so much better. This. We did on purpose in I Kill Giants. I wanted people to be guessing for a long time. I wanted people to be not quite sure about what Barbara was seeing. Um, and then you could also argue that was this a compromise that was done because we didn't have the budget to have giants all over the place. But no, if you look into a graphic novel, it has the same kind of structure and an arc to to the visuals. Um, and there's a lot of giants in your film. I I, I would say that there's definitely but more giants. to the end. To the sure, end. Sure. You got to earn it, yeah. but we are seeing more giant than we saw of shark. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, for sure. And we had I mean, a we had a big you know a big proper fight with a yeah. big titan. And, uh, absolutely. But but I think if people are expecting giants all over the place for the first sixty minutes, you you barely see anything. And you, I think you blow it. Yeah. You, what, what does the second sixty minutes look like if your first sixty minutes have giants all over the place? Then what, what do you escalate to? Yeah, exactly. You. You can't, you can't <laughs> You're kind of screwed. <laughs> you are going to be very screwed, and also to make people understand that this is about characters, we have a you know a rather slow you know it's a slow burn uh, to get into the film, and that's on purpose. I wanted people really to you know get into their chairs and accept and see this film as 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 a, a film about characters and people who are talking, and then slowly we open up the story. Where did you get your confidence for that decision? Because, I mean, it, this is your first feature. You're, you know, you're now playing the uh, the American game. Not that it's a Hollywood game, but you're now playing. You didn't make your Danish movie. Now you're making a movie with a bigger budget. You have a crunch time to do it. Yet you're still telling yourself you're going to do a slow burn. You're going to do a slow burn. Where do you get your confidence to tell yourself that's going to work? Because Sometimes it doesn't work. Does that make sense? Yes. But you had to have the confidence to know that that, that would work. Yeah. That's, um, I mean, I mean, uh, partly it comes from, you know, reading the graphic novel and reading the screenplay. <coughs> it works in the screenplay. It works in the graphic novel. And then why not go for that? But there have been plenty of scripts that have been messed up as movies. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And there have been True. plenty of bad adaptations. Your job was the film. Yeah, and your job was the pacing and the tone and some things that can be informed by the screenplay but when you're telling your actress after two takes mm. moving on where do you I mean that's kind of ballsy right you can I mean you see where I'm coming with this it and, is very and so and, and I'm guessing that some of the people who had worked with you prior 
which may have been the majority of the people there, mm. are looking at you do two takes and moving on and be like, what? No, I did, listen, okay. So I, 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 on purpose I sat down and did three rules for myself. Uh, I will now share with you. Sure. <laughs> before I went on the set. They sound valuable. Because I was a little bit afraid of, of certain things. One thing I was very afraid of was how much would the producers interfere on a day-to-day you know, um, basis in how I directed the actors and uh, how many takes did I need. I didn't know that. I didn't know the process of working with American producers. I know we had you know, fantastic relationships and we had built a lot of confidence over the, last, the, the, the past 12 months before we got on the set. But you know, on certain days you have six producers sitting behind monitors. So on purpose, on the first day of shooting, I said to myself, no matter what, I'm going to do maximum free takes, and I just hope I will get a good performance, because just to show people that I'm a ballsy director who trusts myself on purpose. George Clooney advises you to do the same thing. Have you heard that? No. George Clooney says, do one or two takes and say moving on like like on your yeah. first shot so I did just to tell exactly. people and like, also to tell people to kind of up their game and go like whoa we're not going to have going to have a lot of time here to stand in the background and talk and the actors correct you are going to go yeah. fuck we, you're not going to be able to fiddle with the lights you're not no. going to get a chance to work on the makeup like we're going to get in yeah. the can so you better yeah. come with your A game first up exactly and it just brings a, 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 a certain you know tension to the set which I think is good and then on purpose when I called uh, you know, after the first the first uh, setup and after three takes, I said, "That's it. We're moving on." I didn't look on purpose. I didn't look over my shoulder to my producers. Yeah. Because you could imagine you would do that, especially now. You know, being a first time <coughs> of going, you're asking you for know, permission, but you can't ask for permission. No. So on purpose, I just, you know, stayed with my actors, not looking over my shoulder. You know, asking for approval. You did the job. And then I think, I don't know what they expected, but. I never, I never really got tapped on my shoulder from, from that point onwards, and I got to direct the film that I wanted to direct. I don't know if that would have been different if I would have looked over my shoulder, and by doing so, starting a discussion and starting a dialogue for every time you would do a take, because then I think you're going to be in, in deep shit, really. Yeah, you can't um, show any weakness. It's like prison. Do they yeah. have prisons in Denmark? Yeah. Have you done prison in Denmark? You've never been to prison there. <laughs> you, <can't, laughs> you, you, you can't show blue. Do I look like Anderson. one? Oh who, man, who, who I, I would get prison time. I would get destroyed. <laughs> I would get destroyed in prison. We can't, you and I, I don't think we're we'll last I, too I, long I, in I prison. Wouldn't, I wouldn't we may be able to last. We, if we watch each other's backs, I think that's the only way you and I would be able to make it out. <laughs> All right, Anders. If we go to prison, we go together. That's the promise we're making. <laughs> okay, right now. that's cool. Um, so, the, so the movie, folks, it's called I Kill Giants. If you guys are on Instagram, you can follow I Kill Giants Movie. That's the account. And also um, RLJE Films on uh, both Twitter and Instagram. They're, they're releasing the movie this weekend. So it's in theaters. It's on on demand. Uh, Digital HD, that's this Friday. Um, Anders, what do you think is next for you, brother? Um, I know you're in town trying to. Figure I'm actually. This out. I'm. I'm working with uh, one of the projects I'm doing is with uh, Joe Kelly, the wonderful screenwriter of I Kill Giants. We um, share a, a love for one of the short films that I did. I did a short film called Nine Meter, or Nine Meters, I guess it would be in in, in English. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a short film I did prior to Helium. Joe Kelly always liked that film, and we got you know got to talk about how it would 
churn out if you try to expand it to expand it into a feature. So Joe and I has been have been working on a feature screenplay that. I think we're very close to uh, to be ready to to start sharing here in, in Hollywood. And it's late, but I didn't even get a chance to tell you that the biggest fear directors sometimes have is competing films. And when somebody like Jay Bayona came out with a Monster Calls, which I think some of you geeks here have film seen, it's it's called a, I think people have, people have brought it up, right? Yes. Of and it's like these movies can exist together. They have know? to. I guess. They have to. I mean, of course, it's. It's. I have never seen a monster's call on purpose. I haven't course. seen it either. And okay. I don't think you can if you're going to make this no, movie. I, I think you can not see it to. now. I think you can see now it now. I want to go and see it yeah. and, uh, and understand what people are talking about. And of, I think not so much that we're being compared to this one because we do share themes. I think the most devastating part about this is the fact that Bayona's film was critically acclaimed. Mm -hmm. People liked the film, but it didn't do any box office. People didn't didn't turn up. Uh, right, didn't go out and see. And this he in made the, the orphanage, which was amazing. Yeah. And so like, people say now, oh, and that's how that's yeah. the Hollywood, you know, thing. So they compared with this wonderful film, but a film that didn't sell any tickets. So it has been a little bit of an uphill battle trying to sell this for a big wide distribution. And I don't think that would have been an issue if it hadn't been for. And I'm sorry if it hadn't been for the number of tickets or the lack of tickets mm -hmm. on on a monster's call. So that film has been our monster in terms of, of really trying to, to, uh, to make for a wide um, distribution deal here. And, but that's how it goes, you know, people Sorry. tend to box things and we got into a box with a monster's call, which means great movie, but a difficult sell. So um, Geekscape, it's, it's doubly important this weekend that you guys check this movie out. Uh, it's, again, it's called I Kill Giants. You guys can uh, watch it in theaters, on demand, digital HD this Friday. Uh, I recommend it. I think that you, uh, the filmmakers out there will definitely get a lot from it. Um, and then, of course, if you're a comic fan or just a fantasy fan and love this idea or love anything that we've just talked about for the last 45 minutes, an hour, um, I think I recommend it to all of you. Um, I think you guys will really enjoy it. Um, dude, thanks for coming on the show. Thank Has you been for having me. You've had fun? I had a lot of fun. It was fantastic <laughs> to actually get, get 45 minutes to talk about the film. Normally you get a lot less. <laughs> I, you know, publicists get mad at me, but I, but I like to get into the weeds. Yeah, no, it's great. And it's so great. publicists are like, well, how about five minutes? And I'm like, that's not really how we work. I, no, like, I like to talk about storytelling. That's fantastic. Dude, it's been awesome. Uh, I can't wait to see what's next. All right. me, me too. <laughs> <laughs> Take care, Geeks Gabus, and of course, the, uh, support the movie. And if you are a first-time Geeks Gabus, feel free to share Geeks Gabus with your friends. Hit that subscribe button, leave us a review, tell everybody about us. We love telling stories, and we've got a lot of cool episodes coming up. And of course, almost 600 episodes in the past. So uh, go onto the feed. We're on any podcatcher, and check us out. Uh, it's been great. And then if you're on Instagram, Twitter. Facebook, look for Geekscape, join our community and be a part of it because that's really what this is about. It's about community and sharing stories. Love you and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll have a new episode up in a few days. Bye. <laughs>